What if we told you that diversifying your portfolio could also help create and save jobs? With just 2,000 ringgit, you can help support national growth by investing in SMEs that are the backbone of our economy via equity crowdfunding with Funnel, a trusted and easy-to-use platform with diverse investment structures. Accelerate Malaysia's success with Southeast Asia's largest platform for private investments. Visit funnel.com slash ECF. That's F-U-N-D-N-E-L. Hashtag Kita Jaga Kita Bersama Funnel. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Matt Splained. If one thing has typified 2021, other than tragedy, it has been hype and speculation. The hype of the metaverse and Facebook's determination to define and dominate it, rebranding one of the world's richest companies to stake its claim on the emerging sector, and the wild speculation of cryptocurrency markets and the sudden explosion of NFTs, non-fungible tokens, as tradable assets. Matt, how much have hype and speculation shaped this year? Hey, Rich. Well, I think you can see it in Time's Choice of Person of the Year, which, of course, is Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. So in our first year-end roundup, I think last week, we talked about vaccines, um, you know, how they're made, how they're created. So why didn't Time make the creators of those vaccines its person or persons of the year? Or maybe one of the public health officials who've worked tirelessly to help keep, you know, the society that they're in charge of safe. Mm. Or the doctors and nurses risking their own lives to try and keep people alive. Uh, you know, instead we get Musk, who time admits is a provocateur. He is an edgelord. And what has he contributed over the last couple of years? You know, yes, he's a visionary. He may even be a genius. It's kind of hard to know behind all of the kind of, you know, clown camouflage. Mm. And he's been accused of using his platform as a bully pulpit. He's cast doubt on the safety of COVID vaccines. He's effectively intervened in crypto markets, causing surges and uh, drops as well, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. All while arguing against proposed taxation reforms that would still see billionaires like him pay a much smaller percentage of their overall income in tax than, you know, most of the people listening to this show. Mm -hmm. So even this week, it was announced that uh, a French taxi company is suspending its fleet of uh, Tesla 3s after an accident that killed one person and injured 20. And we've seen, you know, plenty of other issues regarding the, the quality of Tesla's cars. But going back to your question, you know, I think that answers it. Elon Musk shows how much hype and speculation have shaped 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, a person who's made a lot of noise, who hasn't really contributed, has been named person of the year. So I think that signals a lot about the kind of year this has been. And uh, top of your list is the metaverse. Yeah, because we have to remember, and this is the same for crypto and NFTs, that a lot of these things are, are really important technologies. They've got a lot of promise. They've got a lot of potential. And that's where the hype and the speculation come in. 
These are technologies that are being hailed as transformative, but are the elements that are being hyped the ones that can actually achieve those transformations? Mm. Or is it the old bait-and-switch routine that's being used to sell us someone else's vision of those technologies? But yes, this is definitely the year that the metaverse went mainstream, which is still kind of weird because the metaverse doesn't exist in any real way, you know, as yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to go into too much detail about, you know, what the metaverse is. Listeners can go back to uh, episode 178, where we discussed it, obviously, more in uh, in detail there. Just give us the uh, the elevator pitch. Okay, I'm glad you didn't say a 60-second version because I can't do those. Um, <laughs> you know, there are a, a lots of potential versions of a metaverse, but um, try thinking it uh, of it rather as a, a more immersive version of the internet, one where you can interact with people in avatar form, a bit like you know the open world platform games that a lot of people are already playing. Mm-hmm. The big difference would be that your life centers around that environment. You'd go to work there, you'd go to school there, you'd socialize, you'd play games, watch movies. For a lot of people, that sounds pretty much like the life they've had over the last couple of years. But this would be a more unified and seamless experience. Right now, we rely on multiple apps to do all of those things, you know, separate apps for games, separate programs for games, Mm. different apps for education or for work or, you know, for streaming movies. So the unified visions of the metaverse would see all of those things happening under one umbrella. And within that, we see this seamless shift between the real augmented reality and virtual reality, which has been termed collectively as extended reality Mm. to the point where, you know, four of you, four people could meet physically in a cafe and some other friends could join you virtually and they'd appear to be sitting at the table with you and you'd appear to be sitting at a table wherever they're beaming in from. Uh, And when you frame it that way, doesn't it make uh, sense that the metaverse is a unified entity? Well, that is one way uh, of looking at it. I mean, we did a show, I think, about a year ago. Uh, I think it was um, MSP 147, the COBOL Cowboys, where we talked about the internet as a, a kind of layer cake of code and technology mm. that dates back almost 50 years. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like one of those uh, dystopian sci-fi movies where new buildings are simply piled on top of the old ones. And sometimes something somewhere in that stack collapses and it brings the whole tower down now because the internet that we currently have is distributed because it isn't all privately or publicly owned it's a a necessarily inefficient and cumbersome structure you know it's a miracle that it's as robust as it is so i can see why people if they were looking at you know those opportunities to create the next version of the internet from the ground up would try to design it without those inefficiencies. Mm -hmm. But you have to go back to asking whose interests those developments reflect. And then, of course, into this discussion steps everyone's favorite post-human, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. And I know we've commented on this in in previous shows. Uh, um, I I know you were surprised that Facebook made the move to rebrand to Meta this year. Yeah, and I know you recently spoke to Nicole Tan, Facebook's Malaysian country manager, and I think you asked her about this. Yeah, um, interesting stuff. And I think it was um, the, the kind of answers that I, 
expected. It's something that they've been thinking about for for a while. Uh, but I guess if people wanted to learn a bit more, they should probably listen back to that show. So I don't try repeating myself. Go back, listen back to the uh, Tech Talk podcast. It's called uh, Meta. Uh, what's in a name? Have a listen back to that. Yeah, that it's probably best if she explains it herself rather than me trying, you know, finagle to, it to here. To pass it, yeah, of yeah. course. But, you know, I was surprised that they chose to rebrand now. Uh, Facebook is under fire uh, and under investigation in multiple countries for the power and the influence that it possesses for its attitude to, you know, you guessed it, taxable income, uh, mm. its attitudes to competitive practices, at a time that lawmakers around the world are, are talking about breaking the components of the old Facebook apart, the company decides it's going to make a play for something bigger and even more audacious. Uh, and now, of course, we're all talking about the metaverse. And of course, what was FB and uh, is now Meta is cast as a villainous actor in this evolving platform. Mm. And, you know, let's be clear, a lot of the other players competing to build some or all of the metaverse want exactly the same thing that Facebook wants, to be the sole host and destination for everything that we do digitally, mm -hmm. which in a metaverse-equipped world will actually include everything you do in real life too. What do you think we're missing then when, when we talk about the metaverse? I think we miss the centrality of its position because it's hard for us to imagine it and what that kind of concentrated power might result in. Uh, for example, I think on the 10th of December, the Electronic Freedom Foundation held an online workshop entitled uh, Building Human Rights into the Metaverse. Mm. And your, you know, your instant reaction to that might be, well, why? Our governments have legislation that protects our human rights, but will that company controlling the metaverse be operating in a jurisdiction where it can be held accountable by your government? As it is, the freedoms expressed within you know, any charter of human rights change from country to country. Mm -hmm. In some countries, you know, there simply aren't many human rights or the government is able to override them at will. So what will our rights be in a corporate controlled metaverse? Mm. You know, we talk about autonomy, we talk about the individual, but what autonomy do you have when a company is the gateway for your job, your education, even your access to your own finances? Isn't the counter-argument to that, though, that in the metaverse, surely we, we can have more freedom, that we can be, you know, whatever we want to be? Well, yeah. I mean, certainly there have been economic arguments made. Um, you know, real-world resources are scarce in the metaverse. Everyone can have their own mansion. They can have a supercar. They can, you know, live a roller lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But what you don't have is ownership or control. You might buy or rent your mansion within that metaverse, but the virtual land it sits on or the access to that land can be taken away uh, because the, the gatekeeper is the ultimate arbiter of control within mm -hmm. that environment, that universe. And that's one of the big arguments, really, for building the metaverse on open protocols. Even so, the, the counter-argument is that it isn't real, it's only virtual. So how, how could they, you know, how could your rights be curtailed? Well, I know fiction isn't the most popular genre when it comes to books in Malaysia, but honestly, because we're looking at the future, at things that haven't come to pass but might, 
fiction does make a useful touch point. Now, mm. I've just finished reading uh, the Dave Eggers novel, The Every. It's the sequel to The Circle, which was a, a book about a rapacious social media company that was uh, made into a mm, okay-only movie starring Tom Hanks and Emma Watson. Uh-huh. But The Every takes the company's development a stage further. It becomes the ultimate global entity. You have a a world that runs on data and you have a company that promotes radical transparency to the point of putting linked cameras everywhere, even in forests. Uh, Your medical insurance is only valid as long as you wear the every smartwatch. Their social credit score rates you from birth. Uh, High achievers then have access to better housing, jobs, education. And at the same time, it buys up companies and retailers and simply puts them out of business because they interfere with the purity and totality of their data. So you have this situation where most decisions are then made by AI, which of Mm -hmm. course is also developed by the every, which can even predict who is likely to commit a crime. I mean, that's still a very extreme version of what we'd likely see in any real life scenario. It is, and that's the point, because you're, you're pushing it to that extreme. But the real-life parallels are still there. In the book, the every doesn't need to take over or remove governments, because the bureaucracy and infrastructure that runs nations operates on the every's platforms. So they really have no need to co-opt, because it's their data and their priorities that are flowing into the public domain. Mm-hmm. And that's the lesson I think we should learn, that if you allow a single company to operate something as far-reaching and powerful as the metaverse, then that company will effectively be operating as its own independent nation-state, with the ability to place social and economic sanctions, uh, restrict the movement of goods and services, and perhaps even engage in its own cyber warfare. So, you know, keep that in mind the next time Mark Zuckerberg or some other gurning tech bro offers you a a shiny demonstration of their next generation internet replacement. Okay, um, when we come back then, pushing the hype with NFTs and crypto, you're tuned in to Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9. Fearless Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Uh, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. I'm Rich Bradbury and welcome back to Matt Splained. Um, Part of the story of this year, then, has been the fortunes made and lost on cryptocurrencies and uh, non-fungible tokens this year, NFTs, Matt. Yeah, so we saw a lot of speculative activity in markets in uh, 2020. The so-called Reddit traders who were organizing pylons into obscure or undervalued stocks. Mm -hmm. Uh, GameStop being one of the most notorious, partly This was because people were at home and stimulus checks from governments in some countries uh, were giving people money that they could then afford to take wild risks with. And of course, we were seeing people who'd lost their jobs and livelihoods turning to things that they could do from home, things like day trading, 
using their own savings. Mm -hmm. So we saw this huge boom in other markets for speculative assets as well. Uh, the, the big investor class money went into SPACs, the publicly listed shell companies that specialize in investing in existing companies and making them public without meeting the procedural requirements of a standard IPO. Mm -hmm. But there was also a boom at, I guess, what you'd call the consumer end of the investment market in a huge variety of things, you know, things like trading cards, sports memorabilia, things that could easily be um, sold on again and transported and uh, sold at a profit. Of course, that money also flowed into virtual assets, the uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, tokens like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And we saw this huge rise in a class of assets that had been around for a while, but was quite obscure for most people, which are the non-fungible tokens. Which is the episode where you made the unfunny joke that they sounded like some kind of mushroom. Well, they've kind of grown like fungi in a forest. They've kind of proliferated. So maybe my analogy was, you know, more profound than dad joke. No, definitely dad joke. Uh, you know, you're not even a dad. I'm a cat dad. That's better. Uh, so a quick <laughs> refresher for those who need it. Uh, Non-fungible tokens provide a, a means to certify that something is original. When you attach a, an NFT token to something, that transaction is recorded on a blockchain ledger. So by looking up that entry, you know that the item that you have is legit. So the NFT is created in a process similar to those for producing cryptocurrencies. It's mined. Uh, some NFTs are linked to specific cryptocurrencies. And typically you pay for them, you obtain them by uh, paying for the mining process. And this is known as a gas fee. And then via the wizardry of you know the online world, you can then attach an item to that token that you now own. And we've seen this mostly explode in the world of art. Well, that's really how it started to, to blossom. Uh, digital artists, by which I mean artists who create art that exists as a digital image, say a JPEG or a movie file, have long had the problem of how to sell unique pieces of work. Mm -hmm. How can they make a digital file unique when someone can simply copy and own their own copy uh, or share it on their Instagram account? So NFTs solve that problem. So yes, someone can still copy it and repost it, but only the person who owns the one with the NFT attached to it, which is effectively a digital maker's mark, has the original, and it's the original that has value to a collector or for sale. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a number of artists embrace the format. The big star, of course, has been uh, Beeple, uh, whose works now sell for you know millions and millions and millions. But it has also in the process created a, a market at every price point. And of course, art is always subjective. So it goes without saying that some of the artworks are great, some of it is rubbish, and that happens as well at every price point. And then you factor in the value of the cryptocurrencies many of these works are sold in. Well, yeah, so you have many of these asset holders who are effectively earning a return twice in terms of you know dollar value. Many of the artworks are appreciating, so the buyers are able to quickly flip them, make a profit there. But if the currency that you're making that sale in is appreciating too, then when you cash back out into dollars or whatever other traditional currency, then you've made a pretty good fast return. 
But you're still classing this as hype and speculation? Well, it's a new market and it does have a lot of the classic signs of a bubble. We don't know how people will view the value of these digital assets over the long term. And I'm not knocking it. You know, a lot of my artists and designer friends have started creating NFT works this year. Uh, Mm. Some are doing very well, and I'm really pleased for them, especially as, you know, so many of them have taken a hit to their income over the last couple of years because more people are competing for fewer projects and commissions. Mm -hmm. So for creators, it's definitely a great way to monetize. We've seen the music industry embrace the NFT model as well, with music makers selling one-offs and special editions of their work in NFT form. So it's cool for creators. For the asset holders, I think the future is a bit less certain. I'm betting there's a lot of people out there aren't going to like that you just said that. Well, there does seem to be this cult-like zeal with which crypto aficionados uh, seem to react to things. Um, I I read (laughs) one article recently, so uh, relating to the demise of two cryptocurrency exchanges in Australia, Mm. and a professor of commerce commented that the situation reminds her of the tulip mania bubble in Mm -hmm. 17th century Holland, which is quite a long way from NFTs. But Mm. in this situation, so many investors purchase tulip bulbs that a single bulb could be worth as much as a house. Mm -hmm. But she also notes that uh, at least after that bubble burst, after that crash, you were still left with a bulb that you could plant, you could grow a tulip. As cryptocurrencies have no intrinsic value, there's no physical asset linked to them. In a crash, you effectively lose it all. Mm. And we've seen some of the effects of this absence of regulation. So I mentioned those two Australian exchanges, uh, ACX and My Crypto Wallet. Investigators are, are looking into allegations that millions of dollars of cash and tokens are missing from ACX customer accounts. Now, is it fraud? Is it an accounting error? Was it a hack? We simply don't know at this point. To that point, um, this year, we've seen quite a number of hacks, collapses, and scams in this sector. Yeah, so the Squid Game token is probably the largest of them. So following the uh, breakout Netflix show, uh, Squid Game, a crypto token bearing its name, not linked to the show, was launched. Uh, and one of the things that we see with a lot of these emergency, uh, emerging currencies rather, is that they come out of nowhere. They attract attention and they get these huge surges in value. Mm -hmm. And that in turn attracts media interest, which then pushes the prices up further. So Mm -hmm. at one point, uh, a Squid Game token was worth over 3,000 US dollars. But holders of the tokens found that there was a built-in mechanism preventing many of those tokens from being sold, allowing the mysterious creators to sell off their own stocks in a classic pump and uh, dump action. Similar to some of the uh, influencer-led scams. Yeah, so there's been a, a surge as well this year in tokens that launch and then engage influencers on Instagram and TikTok to promote them. The influencers don't necessarily know it's a, a scam. The majority of cases, they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, you see those massive inflations as the pylon happens and the creators sell off their own tokens at a huge profit. And then the market quickly collapses, mm-hmm. leaving most of the the buyers, the investors, with pretty much worthless assets. But even with established tokens like Bitcoin, 
the markets are still really volatile. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tesla bought uh, one and a half billion in Bitcoin in early 2021, causing massive rises because, you know, putting so much money into the, the market. Uh, and of course, Tesla has made quite a lot of money from uh, its investment in Bitcoin this year. Uh, the currency has experienced uh, surges and falls that correspond to what Elon Musk has tweeted about it on any given day. Mm. Uh, Dogecoin, uh, another currency, another token, experienced a 60% rise in value after tweets by Musk that appeared to support it, and then fell by nearly a third after he appeared on Saturday Night Live and called Dogecoin a hustle. So, you know, there's something wrong when a single individual can exert that much influence over the markets, because those markets are not backed by anything except the speculation. There's mm -hmm. no asset, there's no company producing goods or services, there's no turnover. And that's without talking about, you know, the the hit the hacks and the glitches. Uh, you mean the uh, poly network hack? Yeah. So earlier this year, a, a hacker discovered a flaw in the uh, decentralized finance platform Poly Network mm -hmm. and managed to transfer more than $600 million into their own account. Now, it was later returned. Uh, the hacker claimed to be a, a white hat and they were simply pointing out vulnerabilities that would allow the network to give its clients better protection. Uh, mm. But there are also reports that the hacker received a, a $500,000 payment from uh, Poly Network and, of course, uh, no legal action for the uh, for the actions. And then there are the uh, the simple uh, tech glitches. So uh, a Coinbase and CoinMarketCap display glitch this week made <laughs> a lot of users think they were uh, rich. Uh, a friend sent me a screen grab from his app that said his holdings were worth $1.23 trillion. I, I, uh, I think I have a very similar screen grab somewhere on my um, phone. Yeah, I, I've got a feeling you might. You know, the... These are volatile emerging markets with relatively inexperienced players operating within them. And because mm. most of these services don't have the kind of deposit insurance or loss insurance schemes that are common, uh, common to regulated banking uh, and markets, if something happens, if an exchange tanks or your account is hacked, then your money is probably gone. Um, would it be correct to say that you're a, a bit of a crypto naysayer? No, I don't think so. You know, I, I was actually asked that this week on Facebook. I love what these technologies can do, but not necessarily what they're currently doing. You know, I just think that all of the cowboy stuff is damaging the reputation and potential of the sectors. Mm. So, you know, take NFTs. Yes, we need to change the way that many of these tokens are mined so that they are less energy intensive. But their potential is enormous. It could transform yeah. payments and royalties in the entertainment and arts sectors. Uh, there are mechanisms so that creators can receive a percentage of any further resale of the, the token. Typically, when an artist sells a work and its value increases on the resale market, uh, the artist receives nothing. Mm -hmm. So it could provide new ways for musicians to monetize their work that are independent of label and streaming platforms. Uh, they can be used to verify the 
authenticity of real world as well as digital items. So we could even see them being used for different ownership models for land and buildings that allow them to be transferred and sold much more easily. Mm. And equally, there's enormous potential in digital currencies and their ability to reach poorer sections of societies, which are often the ones that are unbanked. Mm. Uh, Then there's the blockchain itself, which could be used for everything from voter rolls to company accounting to digital watermarking to counteract fake news and uh, the rise of deep fakes. We've only scratched at the potential of these technologies. But for the time being, our attention is being grabbed by these, you know, wildly fluctuating markets and people who aren't, you know, operating transparently. Mm. And you want to see stable markets emerging. Yeah, I mean, I want NFT art markets to be long-term. I want my friends to be able to create stable sources of income rather than something that everyone gets tired of in 12 months' time. And so those artists are left scrambling to find another new way to make money. Mm -hmm. It's the same with the currencies. You know, no one is going to use them as a means of exchange while their value can fluctuate by double digits overnight or following a tweet. You know, we've seen that in Tesla accepting Bitcoin as payment for cars and then suddenly not accepting Bitcoin. Mm. So companies have to plan. So they need costs to be stable. Uh, To see that, you just have to look at the effect that relatively small increases in inflation on real world currencies are having uh, to global prices. So imagine if currencies were inflated or deflated by 20% overnight. Companies would go out of business, workers would be unable to afford basic items or even pay the rent. So I want us to experience the long-term benefits of these technologies rather than a small number of people profiting from uh, very risky bets for short-term rewards. Thanks very much for that, Matt. My pleasure. And I I know we're going to be um, doing uh, reruns for the next couple of weeks. So part three, uh, our final part of the 2021 roundup, will actually be in 2022. Magic. Um, You can find Matt on Instagram and Twitter at CultureMatt. You can also head over to CulturePop.com for transcripts of these shows and information about CulturePop and its consulting services. And if you did miss any part of this show, uh, don't forget you can download it from wherever you normally listen to your podcast from. I recommend using the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. I'm Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.